Cradleine Network. And this is the 14th episode of Big Bad One. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli. This is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. In this episode, we're covering the Meg Volume 1 issues 18 and 19, cover dates March and April 1992. This episode, Dredd deals with demon bikers and regular demons. The plot thickens in Britsit Babes. Minface McNulty gets some new threads, and the real monster, as always, is those rotten kids. Mm. I hate these kids, Eli. Um, no, I feel it. <laughs> if you'd read along with us, you find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 16, the Heavy Metal Dread Collection, and the Judge Dredd Magazine, issue 299. All right. How you feeling this time, Eli? Ready for some Judge Dread action? I am. Yeah, uh, a lot of great art and great stories in this one. Yeah, yeah. I don't there's... know if it's a. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say I, I don't know if it's um, a coincidence, but I felt like there was a lot of one-offs this time around. Definitely. A lot of like, hey, beginning, end. All right, we're out of here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I said, I think last time, but basically. And 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 we'll talk about this as the episode goes on, but we're steaming towards the end of volume one of the magazine. Next episode is going to be our last time in one, in volume one. I see. And when that mm-hmm. happens, when the magazine goes to volume two, when the magazine goes to volume two, it'll switch from a monthly comic to a fortnightly comic. And mm-hmm. so – and then it'll also be a little smaller and be a little bit more focused. Like it's just going to have like like four – long-running stories in it for a little while. And because of that, they are really burning off basically anything they have for the magazine right now. So, yeah, we're seeing a lot of one-offs, seeing a lot of story nice. of a series comes to an end and stuff like that. Everything we're reading now will be crashing to an end uh, next episode for sure. That's, that's exciting. Yeah, should be good. I'm excited about this, about this uh, new volume and stuff like that. It's a very interesting time. And that takes us right away to Story One, The Hand of Fate. Script robot Alan Grant, art robot Charles Adlard, lettering robot Tom Frame. So first time of the podcast for artist Charlie Adlard, he's definitely best known for being the penciler on the Walking Dead comics. Um, basically, after someone else did the uh, uh, penciled the first six or so of The Walking Dead, and he's done all the rest of them ever since. Um, nice. And he's done a ton of uh, 2000 AD stuff, early days for, for Charlie Adlard here. Um, the narration box of this comic talks about how being an immortal has its ups and downs as a drunk gets bounced out of a bar in Mega City 1 and into a very green night. Actually, a lot of green nights in, in Mega City 1 <laughs> these, this episode. Yeah, definitely. There's a whisper from an alley, and this immortal guy who's got big horns and a demon face pulls out a meat cleaver and slashes the drunk's neck. Whoa! He shouts, in the name of Satan Antigrud, the Horde One, the evil mega goat. I like the Antigrud because Grud is like the fake like, future swearing version of God right. for Judge Dredd. And so Yeah, exactly. It's always to me it's always really fun when they like sort of haphazardly build mythology around <laughs> this, this, this character of Grud that we never like it sort of exists. Like there's definitely like a like a concept of Grud being God, mm-hmm. but they never go into it really. Like they never mm-hmm. like they're, they're, I, as far as I know, there's never a point where they're like, "This is the Church of Grud. This is what they believe. Here are their symbols." Right. It's just sort of a thing everybody yeah. shouts, you know? Yeah, yeah. It feels like it was. They were like, "We don't want to say, you know, all shoot or oh, oh God." Because yeah. we're in the future. Let's make something else. Definitely. But it was. It feel it was just for that purpose. And then as time goes on. They're kind of like, well, I mean, we're already saying it. I mean, what would be the future yeah. counterpart to that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. 1990, like early 90s, 2000 AD really feels like ground zero for sci-fi swearing, both he, both here in the magazine and in the progs themselves, where 
They want to be edgy and cuss, but they still can't actually cuss. So we're just getting just a lot of a lot of different sci-fi swearing and stuff like that. Right. Drock it, etc. <laughs> anyway, the demon feeds the corpse of this de- of this dead drunk into a garbage grinder when suddenly Dread arrives on the scene. The demon triggers some kind of phosphor flare hidden in his robe that blinds Dread. But even blind, Dread's able to fire a shot that blows off the demon's hand. Dread calls it in, and they seem to be in the Ed Cayley Alley, or Cali Alley, which does rhyme and possibly is named for <laughs> William Cali, who was in charge of the My Lai Massacre. But I, I could be wrong about that. Um, Dread finds this blown off hand. And a tech team comes down to investigate. They run the prince and find that it belongs to someone named Adam E. Turno. <laughs> like Adam Eterno, I guess. Like Adam is the first man, right. then Eternal or whatever. Um, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got, listen, I know you got it, Eli. I'm, I'm, I'm explaining it for people that might not get it. Right, the audience out there. out there, right. Yeah, similarly, who runs a runs a bookshop on on Methuselah Street, who's the guy who lived the longest in the Bible, things like that. Um, so Turno, meanwhile, is returning to his bookshop, hoping that he, the immortality given to him by the me- by the Mega Devil will let his hand grow back. Um, and as he does, he takes off his demon mask, and he's just a regular dude under there. He idly wonders how many other mega citizens have made this deal with the devil when Dread kicks down the door. <laughs> Inside, in the back room of the shop, he finds a massive pile of human heads, which um, Turno is actually able to hide behind. But suddenly, he pops up and throws his meat cleaver at Dread. But the lawman's too quick. He shoots with his lawgiver, hits the blade in the air, shattering it, sending a big old hunk flying right into Adam E. Turno's brain, which is pretty cool. Later at the (laughs) (laughs) – Trick shot. Yeah, listen. Later at the Justice Department – yeah, yeah. Remember that, Eli. Anyway, um, later at the Justice Department vaults, Turno is being put into suspended animation until medical science can find a cure to a meat cleaver in the brain. Someday – But I guess he'll be immortal after all. Just immortal by being in some suspended animation in the Justice Department vaults, I guess. Uh, uh, What do you wish for? Yeah, seriously. Read the fine print on that. Yeah, definitely. Good, good devil bargain here. And speaking of which, a tech asks Dread, why not just let him die? You know, like you've got him dead to rights. And Dredd says, ah, we'll just see if he's alive, if, uh, we'll let him live and try to heal him just in case he did make a deal with the devil, because I want to nail his accomplice. Like he wants to arrest the devil. But, but, but Eli, I'll tell you that, that, that this really, um... This really seems to be forgetting the fact that we that in a previous Judge Dredd annual, he's already arrested and locked up the devil in ISO Cube six 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 in the bottom of the of Mega City One. All right, it happened. Easy to remember that cell, right? Yeah, he cha- he got yeah. challenged to like a fiddle contest or something, as I recall. Uh, but- I see. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> the devil's locked up. All right, don't forget it. Right. But they did. Okay. Um, <laughs> And that takes us directly, as we talk of t- crime and punishment, with two, story two, straight jacket fits. A script robot, David Bishop, art, ro- art and lettering robot, Roger Langridge. So beyond the panels of the normal world, Dr. Drongo Stabbins performs a funeral for two of the characters that died last time. I think the tree guy among them. Um... And Drongo tells Nurse Honey to return to the real world because he'll deal with that escaped patient Jack on his own. Though Adolf the Tall Dwarf does volunteer to help out and comes along. They they uh, head out, Stabbins quickly metamorphizing into some kind of Rambo-type dude. Um, anyway, <laughs> after that, uh, our, our next episode starts with all the characters posing as the Stabbins family, sort of looking like... The uh, live-action uh, Raul Julia Adams Family movie, which came out in 1991, so very current of the time. Stabbins <laughs> right. and Adolf track Jack to the Judge Dredd magazine dressing room. The animate door makes them drop all their weapons. And then in the hall of the dressing room, all the doors have, like, names and stuff of current stars. And then 
one teasing the upcoming story, Soul Sisters. They quickly find Jack Nicholson's dressing room, and uh, Drongo readies his concealed shrinkomatic ray gun, and both he and Adolf, the tall dwarf, burst through the door into a weird noir color scheme, but that's all we see this episode. Next time on Straight Jacket Fits ends with a bang. And yeah, like every story this story, we'll be ending next episode. Right. Uh, wondering where they're going with the color switch, but I guess no point in really guessing. Yeah, I mean, if I, I, I forget how it goes. If I had to guess, we'll get some kind of film. Other, like, the big joke is that, of course, the guy they're chasing after is, is Jack Nicholson, who was in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. So presumably oh, right. this will um, instead transition to some other Jack Nicholson movie, I'm going to guess. Like, they'll be, uh, they'll pop into Chinatown or The Shining or something like that. I don't that know. That would be cool. Yeah, we'll see. I, I would like it to be cool and not lame, for sure. Right, um, right. <laughs> like, that's my goal, you know. Um, and speaking of things that um, are trying re- that are trying real hard to be cool and su- and sometimes succeeding, we've got Story 3, Britsit Babes. No, I'm being mean to Britsit Babes. It's fine. It's a fun story. I like it. I, I agree. It is fine. Yeah, script robot Steve <laughs> Sam or script robot John Wagner, art robot Steve Sampson, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. So last episode we saw BCB Shay, that's Britsit Babe, insinuate herself to the side of human trafficker and gold tooth aficionado Iceman, who we now see eating cherries and making a deal with someone called Lulu. The deal is a hundred thousand per item, with a special item that he wants a million uh, a million pounds for. Shay is observing all this from around the corner when a goon in green notices her and her extra interest in Iceman's business. Because of that, he pulls a gun and is going to like attack her. But luckily, she's able to zap the gun with her fire powers and then kick him in in the throat here, which is pretty excellent. <laughs> Although I will say, I don't know if you noticed this, Eli. But um, the physicality of this kick is kind of off-putting for me. <laughs> right. Just Yes. Like, if you look, like, she's kind of doing this big, like, high spin kick or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it just looks like her foot's pointed in the wrong direction. And, like, a really weird direction from, like, mm-hmm. where her knee is and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I don't know a ton about art, but this sort of, <laughs> this didn't look like a really well, well-drawn kick, I guess, that I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, let me see. So it looks like she's kicking with her right foot while her left foot is on the ground. Yeah. But the way the shorts are makes it so that you can't really tell which leg is in front. And then, yeah, that bend in the knee. I'm just saying where you see her her knee in relation to where – What direction her (laughs) her foot's going is is weird. Right. Um. Yeah, they – they could have improved a little bit on that. It looks like a lot of it was like sampled and referenced, but yeah, like I mean that one. You just just draw the line. It's fine. No one's yeah. gonna like we said last time again. Like the key artistic thing at Britstead Babes is just a ton of this art that is definitely copied from like fashion magazines and stuff like that. And you can really you do see a real difference in the art between. When they, you know, Im- when an image is is clearly not from a fashion magazine, right? It, yeah, just, it suffers. <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah, just in them putting them into physical spaces, like in these rooms. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of lines and flat colors. Yeah, because uh, they didn't want to put any furniture or anything that they might need to draw. Yeah, into everything. It, so. Every everything happens in a big, wide open space with incredibly high ceilings. And <laughs> right. it's just again, which is we, we we said this last time, and I again I think it's in like again it sets a mood like it's very cool, mm-hmm. but it is also a real right. noticeably stylized mm-hmm. thing, you know these right. big rooms, yeah. how there's just a ton of people that seem to be standing around, just kind of giving mm-hmm. the blue steel look into the nothingness. Mm-hmm. This this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, I do I do want to put on record that. Um, I also skimp out on backgrounds in my comic as well. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that, you know, I give full credit <laughs> for 
you know, um, yeah. backgrounds are hard. I get yeah. it. Yeah, backgrounds are for losers, buddy. Like that's the uh, that's the secondary <laughs> stuff. You know, I've painted a billion Warhammer figurines and painted like two pieces of scenery ever. You know, like it's not not as fun. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so she kicks this guy. The goon hits the floor, pulls a knife out of a nearby butcher block. So then Shay elbows him hard in the nose and then hits him in the head with something. It's not clear what. Um, she then drags the body into a closet to hide it and gets it out of sight just as Iceman arrives and says, get your stuff. We're going out. They drive out in a hover car and are picked up by fellow undercover Brits at Judge Pete on his hover cycle. And elsewhere, BCBKC, that's a five letters, thank you very much, is coming around as Iceman's lady goons stand over her and give her an injection to knock her back out as they laugh like the evil ladies they are. Classic evil. Definite. Yeah, listen, knock somebody out as you're human trafficking them, laugh a lot. You know, <laughs> evil is surprisingly jolly. I think we all know it intrinsically in our heads. You just got to see it sometimes. Um, Shay and Iceman drive out in his car with Pete in pursuit, as well as a Britsit aerial unit. But when they enter a tunnel, Iceman does something that changes his car's color from red to white, and they lose their, their pursuers because they're harder to identify. Uh, Pete catches on to what's happening quick, though, but sadly, his description of a not-red car isn't very helpful in terms of finding it. Um, desperate to catch up with them, though, Pete contacts his buddies at a Rastafar- in a Rastafarian biker gang, Ja-Ja's boys, and has them start looking for Iceman and Shay as well. Back in the car, Shay uses her, like, compact communicator, like her, like, uh, messaging device that's built into that makeup thing with the mirror. You know what I'm talking about. And sends clues to where she is to Central. Like, oh, look out the window. It's the spaceport. Go, yeah, I've been to Mars. It's not red like they say. It's more of an off-white. Like, oh, she's giving clues. <laughs> um, and then Pete then sends those to the bikers who are now scouring the city along with him. Iceman and Shay arrive at a warehouse where the lady goons have laid out five metal capsules, each with a quick frozen lady inside, including fellow undercover Britsit Judge KC. It seems they've got a whole setup to move these bodies semi-legally, and it seems actually like Shay's pretty unaware of the fact that around all of this, Iceman's been talking about a big deal that he wants to make, which to me seems like it's pretty clearly going to be her because she's like special because she's got psi powers. But she doesn't right. seem to realize this, I guess. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple things in this that I was like, mm, this seems like you guys should have been able to prepare for this. Yeah. Like, um, for color changing cars in the future, like. Don't if if that's an option, you know you have to find better ways to identify. Yeah, you'd think uh, they'd know or like have yeah. CCTV in the tunnels or something like that. Right, you know? exactly. And if someone, if you're doing, you know, um, a human trafficking game, and someone starts just talking about a planet and an exit you're taking into their um, makeup, you know, you gotta start. You know, maybe something's up. I guess he doesn't care. He's like, ah, oh, just get her there. I'll sell her off. In a yeah, but, but well, I mean, I think I think Iceman's twigging to it a little bit because mm-hmm. he does like tell her to put the communicator away or the uh, the comedy's like like you're you're pretty enough as you are. Like stop putting on makeup and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, plus, I think he he like he's balancing her betraying him to how much money he can make by sell by 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 trafficking her, you know, <laughs> by right. selling her to slavery or stuff. And I feel right. like he's he's I, making that making that exchange in his head, you know. Right. I do wonder what mark there is for people with pyrokinesis, like you know, like who's like, oh man. You're trafficking these women. That's great. Do you happen to have one with fire powers? I, bet I would there, really yeah. love that. Like, I mean, I bet um, there, I bet there could be a lot. Like, um, you know, like some kind of gang dude, like underworld guy needs an enforcer that can go places mm. and and do damage without having without carrying a weapon, for instance. I see. Right. The whole slavery thing and the kidnapping, I feel like, always puts a damper on the. Uh, recruiting them. Hey, I need new recruits. Okay, yeah. well, I'll just kidnap some. And well, that's send them why to you get you. like the special. That's why you need like you know. That's you know you you, you get the 
space material, and then you like jam some like uh, some brain ro- oh, right, me- right. mechanics in there to make them do what you want or something like that. That makes sense. You know. I, mean, I dig that. There's I mean, ways to do actually- it. You know, you got to remember that's being done by people that are like breaking the law and deeply unscrupulous, you know, so. Right, right. And they'll sort of figure <laughs> it out. You know, they'll they'll hurt. They'll figure out how to hurt you. They got it going, you know. <laughs> right. I don't know. Anyway, next time on Britsit Babes, acceptable losses, which I would be worried about if I was these Britsit Babes. <laughs> that's an ominous, <laughs> ominous next time cover or title. <laughs> but that takes us in turn... As we talk about Britsit Babes moving on, we talk about the comic itself moving on with non-stories, covers, editorials, and dreadlines. So uh, this is just all the non-story stuff from the, uh, from, the, from the comics we're talking about. Issue 18, 15 Years of Dread. Uh, Dread premiered in March of 1977, so this March of 1991 marks his 15th anniversary. The cover is red and black with uh, gray on the background with a bunch of different artists' versions of Dread's face and head, head and helmet and all that stuff. Inside, there's an ad for a Dread collection called Dread Rules, and the editorial lists by in alphabetical order the 77 artists that have drawn Dread since 1977, which I think is a, is a fun list. And it's also funny because after that, they list the four or so authors that have written for Dread in that same amount of time. <laughs> Gotta keep it consistent. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, there's like a 10-year period where it was just John Wagner and Alan Grant in there, I guess. Um, the right. tagline on the credits on the, uh, on, on the credits part of the page is 15 dreadful years. <laughs> Mid-issue, there's an ad for the re-release of Judgment on Gotham, the uh, Dread Batman crossover, and a repeat of the original artwork contest we saw last episode. Mid-issue, we've got some Dread lines. That's letters about Judge Dread. They're all very complimentary, especially about Britsit Babes, and especially, especially about the Brian Bolland cover that we saw for that uh, last episode. The prog ends with a reminder that the Fortnightly magazine is coming soon, and there's a reader survey and a mail order sheet to enter to get that to join that original art contest. And then finally, there's a uh, full page ad for badass paintball range and constant 2080 advertiser Electroworks. <laughs> Love this Electroworks. I'm going to go someday, assuming it still exists. Um, right. <laughs> progn- or issue 19, Burn Rubber. Simon Bisley draws a pretty badass cover for the origins of Johnny Biker. Inside, again, another reminder of the coming fortnightly. And an editorial says we'll get some uh, some previews of the new content, which we'll talk about briefly. Um, also in that editorial, they they list they, – they do a rundown of the artists that drew Dread on the cover of the previous episode. But actually that rundown has several errors in it, including um, the very first entry where they say it was drawn by Carlos Sascara, when in fact it was drawn by Mike McMahon and from Dredd's first appearance in Prague 2. Get it together, guys. <laughs> um, the legalese at the bottom of the page set, starts with a thing that says, N-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-n-
of course, a conversation in comics that continues to this day. Right. Um, and I'll say that the re- the editor's response that actually I'll have you know that Iceman is not a stereotypical pimp, but in fact a human trafficker or a slave trafficker. That doesn't seem like the best argument to me, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was it? This is a couple years back. It's definitely, uh, you know, I've, I've heard worse arguments more recently. So I mean, I, I'm I'll, just. I'm just saying, like, maybe some people do, but personally, like, when you get the Venn diagram of <laughs> human trafficking and, like, being a pimp, those those circles overlap, is what I'm trying to say. Right, right. Yeah, well, once you break the once you bring out the chart, you really does become pretty clear. All right, like yeah, like, I'm not I'm not sure that's the best argument, guys. The issue ends right. with a series of shockingly easy quiz questions that could qualify you for Dizma, the Mega City One stupid version of Mensa, Mensa for dumb people, basically. Like, are you stupid enough? And then there's a uh, a, a phone number that you pay for by the minute to enter a raffle where you could win a sweet Terminator Two R. Arcade cabinet. Oh, man. I lost a lot of quarters on that T2 arcade cabinet, Eagle Eye. I'm not going to lie to you. No. <laughs> I had, like, guns built into it, man. You shot the guns. Oh, that's awesome. Right. I believe it. And on the oh, top... I played this, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a mainstay in arcades, absolutely. <laughs> if you're of a period of time where you'd ever gone to an arcade, you've certainly seen one, I think. Right. Anyway, right. yeah. But on the topic of things that are awesome... Let's talk Thrill 4, Middenface McNulty. Script robot Alan Grant and Tony Luke. Art robot John McRae. Coloring robot Trevor Carter. Letting robot John McRae. Do that double duty. Middenface McNulty. Scottish. Mutant. Time traveling. Bounty hunter. He's got a lot of adjectives. And he's on the hunt for the Clutie gang. A bunch of time traveling criminals. But finds his path chasing them blocked by a parade of fatties in Mega City One and their fatty pets. He's, by the way, I should mention he's traveled back from like 2180 or so to uh, 2114 in Mega City One. Um, these society, these fatty society ladies, are discussing the finer points of pre-chewing their pets' food. Like, oh, I have the robot do it. Like, no, my mittens would never allow for <laughs> robot pre-chewed food. I must pre-chew all of her food myself. It's gross. Some, yeah, some common. I mean, that's pretty uh, pretty accurate to current things going on. So, you know. Okay, you know, I don't know. They, they stretch too far. I don't know a lot about 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 pet care, so I'll take your word for it. Um, <laughs> when suddenly Middenface's dog Bob comes rushing in and eats a champion fatty Chihuahua. Then he starts rushing around. He's chasing some pets and then starts attacking a fat sheep as well. Middenface fires an electro flare to both blind these people and get Bob under control elsewhere. And like we see Midface running off into the night with Bob as he passed like just a, the like exposed bones and eaten out insides <laughs> of a fatty sheep. It's pretty rough. Bob's a, Bob's a tough dog, you know. <laughs> Elsewhere at Mr. Muzzle's place, the Clutie gang is muscling in. Muscling on muscle! Um, They shoot some goons and fight their way in to take over Muzzle's business. Their first order... Of the of of their first order of business that they take it over is to give Muzzle's goons around the city pieces of the boss Clutie's underwear to spread around so Bidden Face will come looking for them and go straight into an ambush. Meanwhile, the Clutie, um, one member of the Clutie gang has been trying to fix the time machine that that got them to twenty one fourteen, and uh, travels back in time accidentally and narrowly escapes getting hit by a nuke at a at a, at a nuclear test site. Soon, though, Middenface and Bob have caught the trail and arrive at Muzzle's at a Muzzle's place. Middenface headbutts his way in, finds the place full of very friendly, scantily clad babes. Bob isn't buying it though, and bites one, revealing it to be a robot, uh, scantily clad, friendly babe. And suddenly, the Cluties all appear, and they've got the drop on Middenface. Bad times. Middenface is at the. Okay, go ahead. So, you want to say something? No, I was like, I was saying, every time they do time travel, they always very narrowly escape something completely catastrophic. Like 
There was yeah. that T-Rex that was attacking. Now it was a nuke test. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Careful with time travel, kids. You know, don't. Don't just be, take it take it lightly. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many places you can go that when you arrive are incredibly dangerous for just that second. <laughs> you know, full of monsters and volcanoes and God knows what else. Um, so men faces at the mercy of the Cluties. What'll they do? Ah, oh, by God, they blow off one of his head lumps. <laughs> and that's just a taste of the murder to come. But before they kill him, Middenface demands a final drink from his flask, which seems reasonable. But then the cuties sm- the, the Clutie smarten up. They know strontium dogs are full of tricks. So instead, they grab his booze and drink it themselves. But it's not whiskey. It's nitroglycerin. <laughs> I looked this up, Eli. I'll have you know. Mm. And the fact is, is that... Even if you drank enough nitroglycerin to explode, like more like a a fate like nitroglycerin also like opens up your blood vessels and stuff. And so Mm. like like it's used in pill form for people have very high blood pressure and stuff like that. Like if they have an Mm. attack, you you you, you, there's like they're called nitro pills with like a teensy tiny amount of nitroglycerin. Just to open up mm-hmm. your blood vessels, basically. But if mm-hmm. you, if a human consumes like two millimeters of, or two milliliters of, of, of nitroglycerin, so like less than half a teaspoon or whatever, mm-hmm. like that's that's a lethal dose. Like mm-hmm. you'll have a car, mm-hmm. you'll have a cardiovac, like your your blood pressure will drop to zero, and you'll have a cardiovascular collapse within minutes, basically. Mm-hmm. So like I'm just so like I'm just saying that exploding from drinking a bunch of nitroglycerin is least of your problems. You, you die right. from, you'll yeah. die from other things before you explode. Is is basically right. it? Maybe it's you know future nitroglycerin where they you know it's that new consumable explode your body nitroglycerin. You know it's completely fine to ingest. But then if you get roughed up a little bit, you explode. You know, I don't could be. Yeah. I like <laughs> I like that that it's you that's that's taking the lead and explaining these things that don't make sense. You often I'm left <laughs> having to do that. So I, I definitely appreciate yeah. it. Right. It's when still, you, when you it's, go in time travel. You, yeah. You throw a lot out the window. Definitely. I mean it's still a fun caper. Like I I just mm. I just literally like looked it up because I was like, what happens if you do drink nitroglycerin? Like that seems pretty fun. And like a, a, a murder mystery or something like that. Um, anyway, right. <laughs> after the expl- after several of these goons explode, bitten face runs away from the Cludy gang, but ends up in a dead end in a kitchen of the club. Knowing he'd lose a shootout with them. He jumps down a garbage chute and disappears sort of, you know, um, star Wars, a new hopes it as he jumps down the garbage chute. The Cluties see that he's gone and head out, stealing Muzzle's limo as they do and taking a bound Muzzle with them as they go. Middenface lands in a gross lake of garbage slime, and then I guess Shawshank, Shawshank redemptions his way through the sewer system into um, another place, I guess, landing right in the bathroom <laughs> of high-class dude and semi-faux Englishman Max Normal, the pinstripe freak! I think we've actually talked about Max Normal before, Eli, this this character. I don't think so, but I love his name. Oh, yeah, he's great. Um, <laughs> Max Normal is this character who for a, co- <clears throat> who for a long time was Judge Dredd's um, informant. Like, he, um, he, you know, he'd like give Dredd the inside scoop on in, of uh, criminal information and stuff like that. Although more recently, he's left that job and has moved into nightclub ownership and fashion design and stuff like that, mm-hmm. becoming a very really following his passion. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Minface mm-hmm. um, <laughs> passes out on the floor, has a terrifying dream of the Cluties going free and laughing at him, and then we all the strontium dogs call him a disgrace and like their distended faces laugh at him, and then just his grandma shows up and starts beating the crap out of him, and it's real, really pretty terrifying. <laughs> Middenface awakens to Bob the dog licking his face, and Max Normal offers to help Middenface, gets the Cluties, if, you know, just by accident, 
uh, that crime boss Muzzle also gets killed in the crossfire because he's got a contract out on Max because he used to be a, a judge informant and stuff like that. His former narc behavior. Right, right. <laughs> he agrees to take Midface to his targets, but first the bounty hunter is going to need some new clothes. And soon Midface is dressed just like Max normal. The uh, the hat, the bowler hat covers his lumps. And Bob is hitting in a briefcase, although I can't help but notice, Eli, that neither Max nor Middenface are wearing clothes that have pinstripes on them. Mm. Despite the fact this guy's the pinstripe freak. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. I was actually really sad that he covered up his lumps. I feel like, you know, he just looks so normal without the lumps. Yeah, I know. I guess the kilt, too. Yeah, yeah. No, he's really lost a lot. Of, it's funny that, that he says he likes this look because it really does remove everything that makes Middenface Middenface, for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> Live your truth, buddy. You know, um, they arrive at a grand charity do and see Muzzle with a human goon squad. The midden face has some fancy goggles that he looks through to actually see that they're the Cluties in hollow disguises. The, po- the two pinstripers spread out and prepare to flank these mutants. When a call goes out to all available judges, the targets have been spotted at the charity bash. All judges converge. And then next time I've been faced McNulty, we've got Dinosaur Stomp, which I'm excited about because I always like dinosaurs when they show up in these yeah. comics. Yeah, a couple, couple predictions, but, you know, I'll, well, I'll I want to I wanna, I wanna hear what you think is going to happen, buddy. Uh, somebody's going to get stomped by a dinosaur. Seems seems likely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, I don't you know. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, some, something involving a lump in, on someone's head. I don't know. Definitely. Yeah, that feels right. That feels real also. Yeah. So next time we'll actually, <laughs> even though we're only going to be looking at one issue, we'll actually have a double, a double-sized allotment of Vinface McNulty as they rush to finish this one off. So should be getting there nice. real soon. And, uh, you know, listen, on the topic of his strange adventures to new places, Eli... Let's talk about Story 5, Strange Cases. Uh, script robot Dave Stone and Nick Barber. Art robot Nick Percival. Letting robot Gordon Robson. Nick Percival drew both of these, and it's the first time on the show for him, Nick Percival. But he'll do a fair amount of things over the years in uh, the magazine in 2000 AD. He's even got a story in the magazine as we're recording this episode. This, uh crazy futuristic judge death story and is this isn't the same artist that did um uh raptor not raptor um um the thing that we thought looked a lot like venom uh, yeah 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 that was raptor no that was a uh, dean ornstrom this is a different guy although their styles are similar i think at this point at right. least percival's yeah. will, will evolve as the years go by for sure hmm. right i i do imagine it probably has a lot to do with the colors actually how yeah, do, I feel some similarities there, but yeah, yeah, I, I, was I agree. On the fence, I was I wasn't quite sure, but I was like maybe, but that that's cool. No, it's it's different guys, but yeah, there is sort of they, they have some similar some similar DNA at this point. I think um, this no. story is called Monsters, and on a strange street of green fog, a man dies thinking of the monsters that got him. Then we flash back to our to Razorneck, a town on the cursed earth where a cobalt warhead detonated during the nuclear war is killing everybody, but now they're coming back. And we see a couple weird-looking kids um, who are decided to go hunting around Razorneck for treasure. And when they do, they find a mysterious cave that in turn leads to, an, to a strange Technicolor M.C. Escher world. As they investigate, they're confronted by a weird figure with, with a long, crooked body, fingers, and tongue. All three of them are long and crooked. It's yelling some kind of gibberish at him, but when one of the kids slaps it in terror, the creature recoils with a bloody wound, and the other kid that's with him, like, pulls a knife, let's kill him. They go to work, take, kill this creature, and in fact, they're revealed to be the monsters that it was always warned of, you rotten kids! Ah, <laughs> oh, these kids, Eli, I hate them so much. Right. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I did really like this story. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I mean, it made a lot of sense too. Yeah, but I'll get back to that later. I have this. This story spoke to me. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I would say in the end, pretty standard fake out. You know, like all oh, the mm, humans are right. actually the monster, that kind of thing. But still, good times. Right. Mm. The well, next, I story- think yeah. it was a. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I think it was a um 
the uh, willingness the kids have to just murder a thing. They really so go quick. from go from zero to murder very quickly. R- right. Right. <laughs> so the next story is called The Great Outdoors in the and, – and, and this was written by Nick Barber. The first one by uh, by Dave Stone. In the Harold Gray block, who was the creator of Little Orphan Annie, Jake Googer gets up from his lonely bed, awakened by a robot alarm clock, and then goes to see a robo-doctor who says he's got two weeks to live. You'll die like halfway to noon in two weeks. Because he's got so li- so little time to live, the doctor says, like, if there's anything you've ever wanted to do, do it now. Like, get your bucket list working. Um, Jake reflects on his life, which he lived entirely in this city block. He married the girl next door. He went on vacation to other parts of the block, like the fake beach or the fun park in there or like even a fake park and stuff like that. But he's finally resolved to go outside and see what's going on outside the block. But as he does, he's confronted by one of the orphans, a gang member, which makes sense because the, you know, the block's named after the creative little orphan Annie. Anyway, um... Jake just laughs in his fi- in the orphan's face, though, because he's like, listen, like I put off going outside the block. I'll be dead in half an hour. You can't do anything to me. Um, he just talks about <laughs> going outside, seeing something that's not the inside of the block. And the orphan's like, yeah, yeah, you make a good point. I think I'll go outside someday, too, definitely. And Jake's like, you got to do it now or you'll never get around to it. You got to seize the day and stuff and not just keep putting things off. And he spends so long making this point that his time alive runs out and he dies slightly ahead of schedule. The outside of the block unseen. (laughs) And the orphan just kind of walks off from his corpse. He's like, oh, yeah, maybe tomorrow I'll go outside. (laughs) Cycle continues. You'll be inside forever. (laughs) Right. That's tough. Uh, there's a moral there somewhere. I don't know what it is, but I like it. Yeah, I guess seize the day, <laughs> I guess. Mm, yeah, but he doesn't. You know, no. He spends his whole time. Yeah, that's is, the... Is it, we're supposed to learn from his bad example, you know? I get it. Is is the moral to not help people? Because then that wastes time that you could be doing doing the thing you want to do? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, or just like... Like, maybe don't put off for tomorrow, which you could do today. You know, if he had gone outside the day he heard that diagnosis instead of two days late, two weeks later, mm-hmm. then he wouldn't You're have right. had that problem. You know, you got to think mm-hmm. about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, enough of this deep thinking, Eli. Let's just go. <laughs> let's just get some action in here. All right. I'm tired of talking. And to do that, let's get to story six, heavy metal dread. Script about John Wagner and Alan Grant, art robots Colin McNeil and Simon Bisley, letting robot Tom Frame. So two different heavy metal dreads here. Um, the first one, oh, I, oh wait, I should say be, 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 before we go on that uh, that was the last um, Strange Case. That's the end of, the, of this series. So I think we'll have some oh. one-off. We will definitely continue to have one-off spooky judge like a dread you know mega city one stories in the pages of the magazine but i think the next time we see them they'll have been rebranded to a tales of the black library or something like that just uh, FYI. i see hmm. yeah because i really like them I'm, uh, I, w- I would be sad if they just all the way left yeah i think especially in these anthology comics there's always space for a one-off non-continuity story that isn't connected to anything else you know that's just sort mm. of it's just fun to g- use the tryout. Just if someone has a fun story they want to tell, I, I think it's an important thing to have in. It's, it's a good arrow to have in the quiver, I guess. To yeah, refer back to something <laughs> else I said off mic. I think uh, nice, <laughs> mysterious. Um, so this first story of heavy metal dread has got art by uh, Colin McNeil of America fame. Featuring a dude with some pretty awesome chrome, like, skull, boot, knee pad combos with the word well hard scarred across his chest. He is well hard, and he's the man who killed Judge Dredd. Well, kind of. At least he tried, all right? <laughs> right. One of the many that tried. Yeah, well, listen, whoever kills Dredd will automatically be the toughest man in the city, obviously. <laughs> right. So, Wellhard goes to confront the judge, and when he won't, like, get out of the way as Dredd's driving down the street on his bike, he just blows Wellhard's leg off for sassing him, basically. 
He then checks Wellhard's ID and realizes that his real name is actually Ponsley Manilow. Oh, jeez, that's a lame name. No wonder he had to change it. Yeah, Wellhard. Wellhard spits on Ponsley Manilow. Sodrak gives him 15 months for a traffic violation, disobeyed a judge, and spitting. Um, <laughs> 15 months later, pretty good joke in here. 15 months, Wellard can take 15 months hop, standing on one leg, which he has to do because he had one leg blown off. Uh, <laughs> but so now he knows he can't just meet Dredd on open terms. So he goes to ambush him by jumping off an overpass to get the drop on Dredd. But what he does, he misses, lands on the street and gets run over by a truck loses an arm and the other leg breaks a dozen bones seem to have lost an eye as well bad times <laughs> so he gets another year or two in the cubes but this time he uses that time to make a plan he comes out of the cubes with a cyber arm and rocket powered wheelchair legs with big guns attached to him and stuff it's pretty crazy and it seems like this could take out dread until one of the rockets on his cyber wheelchair goes haywire and suddenly is flying around the sky just blasting people willy-nilly it's a pretty big danger so dread's got no choice but to shoot him with a round of high x and he explodes and there's a pretty awesome part where just his torso his armless legless torso falls to the ground and then a few seconds later his head falls down on top of it (laughs) but hey it's a bad time but he doesn't matter to him because he was well dead Right. Gotta gotta get those puns in there. Listen, so many of these heavy metal dreads start with the punchline and then sort of work backwards, I think, you know. My my favorite part of this one was he was like, Hey, get out of the street. And Will Hart's like, make me. And then he immediately gets shot. Boom! Yeah. It wasn't it it wasn't like, oh, let's talk about it. Like, what do you mean make me? He's like, Well, I'm gonna shoot you. Like, that was the immediate I'll tell this person to move, and if they do not I'm going to shoot him. Like, that was... It's serious business, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, Simon Bisley takes over on art as a dude on a trike, makes fun of Johnny Biker's Mike bike, makes fun of Johnny Biker's bike, Mike the bike. And that's something you 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 just don't do. (laughs) Johnny challenges the triker to dead Juve's curve, which we've seen in 2000 AD. And it's this, like ultra corkscrew of terrifying future drawing driving no one's ray who races on dead jube curves dead jube's curve lives to talk about it mm-hmm. <laughs> a lady in an i heart johnny jacket begs him not to race but he just pushes her aside because it's serious <laughs> they take off as dread sees them racing the uh, judge quickly like just you know day sticks the the triker and takes him out and then chases after uh, Johnny Biker. Johnny knows the real race is now, but doesn't realize that Dredd's not just going to race him as Dredd just shoots him two or three times. <laughs> like, stop, pull over, but he doesn't. Um, Johnny right. veers off, driving straight into a strip shop, which seems to be like a car wash, but like acid-based, basically, like to strip like the chrome off of a car or something. And that removes his hair and much of his skin. And he's just sort of a burnt-up skeleton now, listening to Skeletons of Society by Slayer as he heads to jet to dead <laughs> Juve's curb on Will Alone. He's going faster and faster, finally breaking 300, I don't know, miles or kilometers per hour. One of those two. Very fast either way. And mm. takes Dead Juve's curve at that speed. Nobody's done that and lived. And neither does Johnny. He was flying mm-hmm. off the side of the curve to his death. Um, yeah, He dies and we see... We sort of cut to the present where the lady from the start of the story is now an old biker chick. And she's had Johnny stuffed and converted to gas. So he's sort of a dead dude hibachi. And it's nice. You know, it shows that their love is burning hot. It's a romantic centerpiece Mm -hmm. and a great way (laughs) to toast marshmallows. (laughs) Right. And you never come back from dead juve's curve. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be multi-purpose, man. You can't just be an ornament. You got to have some use around the house. Right. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, really metal. They uh, they weren't joking about heavy metal dread. Yes. All of these are very metal stories. Definitely, yeah. Especially once he goes through the uh, he goes through the strip shop and like his lips burn off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he's just sort of a a wailing corpse, hell bent on destruction and stuff like that. Pretty fun. Right. <laughs> And speaking of weird feats of imagination, Eli. Mm. Yeah. Let's finish let's finish strong with Story 7, The Boy Who Thought He Wasn't. Script robot Alan Grant and Tony Luke, art robot Russell Fox, color robot Gina Hart, lighting robot Tom Frame. Only time in the comic with Russell Fox, though he'll be in both the special and the yearbook this year. Under the sign for a movie called Geekly's. Which is probably a reference, of course, to the current uh, Gremlins 2 movie or one of those other sort of, you know, Mm. cute monster movies. One (laughs) of the geeklies, a cute gargoyle dude, appears, slashes the throat of a dad and kidnaps a son. Oh, jeez, these geeklies. Luckily, Dred's on the scene. He leaps off his bike at the monster, sending the kid uh, uh, flying, and he lands safely on a window awning while he and the geekly both crash to the ground below. Um, on the ground, Dredd scrambles for his lawgiver and takes a few shot at the Geekly, but it disapp- and when he does, it disappears into a cloud of smoke. <laughs> Later, at Side Division, Dredd's consulting with Judge Cassandra Anderson, and after joking that it might be a hologram and telling him to keep his chin up, and Anderson does her size stuff. But just gets a general <laughs> sense of what this thing is. She needs to go to the site to get more information. They head out on their bikes when suddenly a giant yellow robot appears. It attacks them, but the judges act fast and blow it away with their bike cannons. And then it explodes into smoke as well. And like Dread jokes, oh yeah, it must be a hologram or something to Anderson. And she's like, all right, I guess it's real. And we get a pretty good <laughs> shot of their boots, including the fact that Anderson has high-heeled ones in this one. Now that they're closer to the source of the psych of the emanation, Anderson does a, does a size scan and finds the culprit, a no-good kid with a psychic ability. These kids. Um, <laughs> his parents wouldn't take him to the movies or buy him a toy robot, so he manifested them with his psychic abilities. Whatever he imagines becomes real, it seems. Anderson tries to be nice, but Dredd is unyielding and prepares to arrest the kid's parents and actually threatens to execute this kid if he tries to stop him, which is pretty rough for Dredd. He usually doesn't go that hard in the paint for this stuff. Um, To keep Dredd from harming his parents, though, the kid Cosmo reaches out and his parents fade away. They were just imaginary constructs. Anderson wants to take Cosmo to side side division to figure out what's going on. But then he's like, I don't want to go with you either. And then he fades out as well. So he was also a construct? A construct of his own imagination? What's going on? And Dredd just kind of looks around, doesn't understand how it all happened, and said, listen, this is for someone to figure out in paperwork. Enjoy that one, Anderson. He like brushes off his hands and walks out. He walks out of the frame. That's how much he doesn't want to deal with this story. That's the final image of this of this tale. <laughs> that was fun. I um, really like the imagination power uh, yeah. trope. Uh, it usually to make it interesting, you have to take it a step further to make it something weird. But. Um, I like thinking he imagined himself not existing. That's what he's like. I don't want to exist anymore. What would that be like? And then his power yeah. made himself disappear. Yeah, I think that makes a little bit more sense that he's sort of wishing them away or something as opposed to <laughs> them just not existing in the first place, you know? Right. Especially because we didn't see him wishing away the other things. They just got killed by the judges. Mm. And so whatever. <laughs> but yeah, fair right. point. <laughs> <laughs> All that. Oh, so good. I said. I also wanted to make a note of this art style. It's very angular. Mm. Um, they are very hesitant to uh, make curves, uh, and uh, I find I don't know. I find that uh, oddly charming. I think it. Uh, it was an. I um, used to have an art style that was similar to this uh, mm-hmm. back in the day. Not nearly as detailed, but um, just where mm-hmm. everything's kind of simplified into an angle. And I think I, don't know, I just really like that. Yeah, I think this. I. I I think we'll see more of this kind of look. Like it does, it does remind me of the um, the strange cases art that we had this mm-hmm. episode as well. This sort of more 
stylized, simplified art. I think. I think we might get that mm-hmm. eventually. Although we're in for a little bit more, in for some str- like both more familiar and stranger styles as we go forward in the magazine. Mm-hmm. There's a mixed bag. <laughs> nice. But all that said, Eli, we've reached the end of our journey through the magazine. So I have a question for you, which is what were your top and bottom stories for this issues 18 and 19 of volume one of the Judge Red magazine? I must know. <laughs> Let me see. Hmm. You think I'd plan ahead for these types of things? No, no, um, I never uh, do, uh, for the record. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, on the... Uh, dang it. All right, on the bottom... Uh, in uh aside from straight jacket fits i feel like i i want to also put uh the hand of fate i do think straight jacket fits is definitely my bottom but i feel mm-hmm. like i say that every time so i wanted to give an alternative you know like if i couldn't pick straight jacket fits um i put uh the hand of fate um it i didn't get a lot out of it i know it was kind of you know like there was some fun uh, you know, uh, anti-grud, you know, propaganda going on there. <laughs> Careful what you wish for type mor- morality. But mm-hmm. I feel like it didn't really add a lot or mm. like um, just didn't connect with me uh, very strongly. It was uh, just, oh, there's this guy and he's trying to kill people for immortality. And we caught him. All right. And then that was kind of the end of it. Um, so I'll say that one. Uh, is on bottom uh and then uh for top hmm. uh that's because i want to put um heavy metal dread mm-hmm. up there but i think in addition to the i'm just giving doubles so i'm never oh man uh, i'm not yeah. putting any one thing up there everything's two all um, right you know but, feel free to uh, like don't don't <laughs> feel like you got to be fair to these guys you like you can you can you know, part of I the liked, fun is saying I, that this is better and my opinion right. is right and cannot be um, cannot be questioned. I liked Heavy Metal Dread. Um, I really liked um, uh, the guy who got his legs blown off. I thought that was really funny. And nice. um, even the um, the other story about because um, uh, it I, I'll say, um, yeah, the uh, guy who got his legs blown off. Because not, it didn't matter at all. Like it was always it's all these things, these determination, uh, two years of this guy's life, him having one goal, one dream, and then it not mattering at all by the time the story's done. And yeah. for some reason, good that's punch. dread to me. Yeah, good right. punchline at the end and stuff like that. It's solid. Absolutely. Right. And um, I want to put um, in that same category, uh, monsters uh, from Strange Cases. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, I like the art style. It was very cute and uh, colorful. A lot of greens, and even though you know the it was a predictable ending, I do like that it kind of shows the mentality of the youth and you know the cruelty in the world. That some guy can't go around with you know a weird spinny tongue and digits without kids just stabbing him and killing him for no reason, yeah. just because he looks weird. Not uh, cool, kids. I hate those right. kids. Yeah. But... Yeah, he should have listened. You know, he you know he's narrating the whole time like there's monsters out there, and he was yeah, like, he, you know what, maybe they're all right. I got this cool hat on. Yeah, I wear a tie. He tried to put nope. his best foot forward, but his foot foot was still long and 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 like twisting, right. and so it wasn't right. very good. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that I'd say that and um, yeah, uh, heavy metal dread are uh, on nice. my top. All right, I think for me, I don't know. I think I might just put straight jacket fits on the bottom. Enough of that one. Mm-hmm. Not again. <laughs> like this one especially just kind of felt like we're slowly like this. It went back to being like a two pager or something like that. Like just like we're going mm-hmm. real slow and mm-hmm. a lot of very like not even a ton of gags per page or anything. So I don't right. know. Just not not even trying to make jokes, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> Um, for my top, I'm going to say Heavy Metal Dread just generally. Um, nice. I really thought this one, these ones did a really great job of being just over the top, crazy ass, ultraviolet dread with really great art and right. also being really funny in like their like nihilism and massive destruction and stuff like that, you know? 
And, yeah. and like, I think those two things really made them fun. Like, this is what Dread's all about kind of stories, oh. even in a way that the other mm. Dread stories this ep- this issue didn't, I think, or this episode right. didn't. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can definitely feel that. So straight jacket on the bottom, heavy metal Dread on the top. All right. <laughs> well, you think your uh, heavy metal has anything to do with your love for America? I know that artist. Uh... I mean, I do like Colin McNeil, but I like Simon Bisley also. And honestly, mm-hmm. like I would, I would say again, like the fact that these really sort of they turned all the dials up to up to eleven for mm-hmm. right humor and violence and art and all this <laughs> stuff. I think really combined together yeah. to make them fun. Totally fair. Yeah. So I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com, the 2080 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. For all those, you want to find Big Meg One with the one spelled out, O-N-E, and you'll find us. The show is brought to you by Steve Green, Jane Zane, Kip Miller, and your friends at the 2080 forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There, you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the Meg, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and Conrad. Then come back next time as we reach the end of Volume 1 of the Judge Dread magazine. All stories must end as we prepare for the rollout of the fortnightly edition, which I'm super excited for. It's going to be great. And until then, I'm Conrad, he's Eli, and we are Big Meg One. Rock it! Life's good, life's good. What's good, life's good, but not fair at all.